Welcome to the High Point Baptist Church Sermon Cast, expository Bible sermons from the preaching and teaching ministry of High Point Baptist Church in Larksville, Pennsylvania, for the glory of God and the proclamation of His Word. We thank you for listening. And now, High Point Baptist Church pastor-teacher, Pastor Matt Tarr. And I invite you to turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We will see if this is our final message in 1 Timothy for a few weeks anyway. Mel is set to be due here on Tuesday, and uh, we are quite surprised, to be frank, uh, that that baby has not come yet. We thought for sure that uh, Mel thought for sure that this baby was coming along a little bit sooner than the others had. And uh, in fact, she did. T- she did tell me before I left this morning. Uh, now, what happens if I go into labor while you're in the pulpit? And so I, I told her, "Well, you'll just have to hold it for another 45 minutes till I can get home." <laughs> and I have my phone up here just in case. So uh, you'll have to excuse me if I do check it. I'll do it subtly so that you not see it. Hopefully, it doesn't interfere with any of the technology or anything up here. But. I trust that you have found your way to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Our passage is, in fact, a new section, though, as we move along to some of Paul's concluding thoughts, his pastoral concern as he wraps up and summarizes the content of the book, the things that he wants Timothy to to really uh, walk away with here, uh, the final comments he wants impressed in Timothy's mind as he takes these words to his church in Ephesus. And Paul says in verse 3, if anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with a doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing. He has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words, out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth, who actually, or rather, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain." Although extremely rare in the United States, botulism is among one of the most well-known conditions because of how potentially life-threatening the bacterial and born illness can be. Caused by bacteria in either improperly stored or prepared food or through the entrance in a wound, most typically, botulism affects the host's nerves, inhibiting motor control, causing paralysis between, uh, rather beginning with the eyes and the face and progressing down, eventually infecting the lungs and the vital organs, chest and extremities, and eventually leading to death due to the inability to breathe. But infecting less than one in a hundred thousand people, the threat of botulism is still taken very seriously within the medical community because of its high mortality rate among patients who are not treated who are not treated immediately and effectively with botulism antitoxin 
even for those who are treated right away and who survive, most will continue to live the rest of their lives with uh, the same persisting side effect effects for uh, the rest of their years. And so again, even though botulism is extremely rare, that is why any potential threat, whether it's real or perceived, is, uh, is taken very seriously. It leads to extremely cautious procedures to ensure that the source of the botulism doesn't spread throughout the community. In 2013, we had an, an example of such a perceived threat of botulism, perhaps the largest global botulism scare in history. And that occurred when New Zealand's dairy giant company, Fonterra, recalled up to 1,000 tons of dairy products across seven countries in a massive blow to Fonterra and the New Zealand economy, of which dairy products makes up 8% of. That is a large portion of any country's economy. But China immediately responded by banning all New Zealand dairy products, of which 95% is exported, and... Of its exports, China holds about 90% of those. So New Zealand would export through Fonterra about 95% of its dairy products, and China would receive about 90%. Products infected were infant formula and sports drinks, and even though it was discovered that the bacteria found in the infected whey protein was not a botulism-causing strand, of bacteria, and, and although nobody was actually reported sick from ingesting the potentially infected products, Fonterra's CEO was forced to resign, and Fonterra was still fined and sued hundreds of millions of dollars in addition to the lost revenue from their recalled products because of their improper treatment of the botulism scare. The shot heard round the world in the food industry was that extreme precautionary measures are appropriate and must be taken seriously if only because of the potential for real risk, real life-threatening health risks, even though still very rare. Justifiably, the general public expects those measures to be upheld, and most are at least peripherally familiar with potential signs of botulism-infected products. From your earliest days in elementary school, you might remember some basic grocery shopping methods that were taught to you even in school. The cans that are swollen, stay away from. They haven't been canned properly and be cautious when canning things or consuming products that have been canned from the home. You know the source of where those were canned from and that you are confident if you were the one canning them that you did that properly using the proper sanitary techniques and bringing things to the proper temperatures and so on and so forth. And that is the extent, the extreme extent of my skill and knowledge of anything within the cooking industry, period. <laughs> Unless it's on a grill, we might be able to stretch it further. Although those of you who have come to our backyard barbecues might think I'm pressing the point on that one too. But nevertheless, we understand the, the threat of botulism and have at least a familiarity 
with caution, the precautionary measures that we are supposed to take to protect ourselves from botulism or any other uh, bacteria-borne illness brought by improperly prepared food products. We know that you're not supposed to feed honey to infants because of the potential threat from um, botulism and other kinds of facts. And in fact, it was just in 2015 that the largest botulism outbreak in 40 years in the U.S. resulted in the infection of 27 individuals, which included one death. Now, in case you did think that our backyard barbecue, my uh, grilling techniques in the backyard, our backyard barbecues are poor, in this backyard barbecue, church-sponsored potluck, at Cross Point Free Will Baptist Church in Lancaster, Ohio, um, some improperly home canned uh, potatoes were used at the potluck meal that was discerned to be the source of the botulism. And that single event made up for all but 12 of all foodborne botulism in the United States that year. And by the way, four of the remaining 10 foodborne uh, botulism cases that year were caused by the consumption of fermented seal flipper and another from fermented trout. So don't go to Alaska either, where that's considered a delicacy. But in all, there were 199 confirmed botulism cases in 2015, resulting in three deaths, of which 39 were confirmed to be caused by food. And that means, if not for the infected potato salad at Cross Point, 12 of America's 321 million people would have been infected with botulism in 2015. Botulism, again, very serious but extremely rare. But it is still widely recognized, and it is a threat that is taken very seriously. And when I think of this in the context of the church, in case you were wondering where we're going with this, Paul uses a lot of medical terminology in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 to 10, in this paragraph. And so as I think of it in the context of the church, I can't help but wonder why it is that when it comes to the dangerous threat of confirmed even beyond perceived botulism or concern about botulism, but there is a real threat of actually uh, actual diagnosed botulism in the content of certain spiritual diets and infects nearly the entire population of our churches. We continue to treat it in the way that Fonterra responded to the perceived botulism in New Zealand. We ignore it. We downplay its importance. We ignore its significance. If we just don't outright deny and reject its existence altogether, we don't really care about spiritual botulism. The the spiritual disease incurred by infected spiritual food. Bad teaching. Bad doctrine. In fact, I think it is pretty easy to show that there is an ongoing attempt to cover up the tremendous deadliness of this spiritual disease that is infinitely more serious than botulism or any other deadly disease, a disease that might take our physical life but would not take our spiritual lives. 
We are consumed with preoccupation over what kills the body when we ought to be preoccupied with what kills the soul. We are far more concerned about the temporal than the eternal. You just go into any one Christian social media account and you'll find it filled with all kinds of temporal issues there. It's not that we can't comment about temporal issues, but if we are foremost concerned about spiritual issues, I would suggest that perhaps that ought to be what consumes our thoughts in our conversations, even in a social media context. But instead, we find issues about politics and disease that destroys the body but not the soul. You'll find tremendous concern about what goes into a person physically, but very little concern about what goes into a person spiritually. There is passionate dialogue, passionate discourse, widespread advocacy for taking care of your physical body, and of course we should do that, but that advocacy is well out of proportion with our concern over what we take in spiritually. There is great concern and passionate opinions about uh, uh, the results of, as a result of outcome-based research about all organic diets, essential oils, homemade soaps, Medicines, vaccinations, sugar-free diets, hormone-free dairy products, grass-fed meat products, free-ranging poultry, certified extra virgin olive oil. I didn't even know there was certified extra virgin olive oil. But genetically modified produce, high fructose corn syrup, a lot of commentary about these things. Tremendous concern that we have over what goes into our physical bodies. And you'll find more often than that, that is, this, these things, the subject of, of these temporal, physical things that Christians tend to be the most passionate about. In fact, you'll see churches divide themselves over these principles. I know a church that actually had to make it a rule that you were no longer allowed to talk about whether or not you would vaccinate your children. Can you imagine? Because evidently, the gospel, the truth, was insufficient to bring the people of God together, united in a purpose to glorify God, and would rather divide themselves over some matter of the flesh. And so we are obsessed over what we put into our bodies as Christians, but when it comes to our spiritual food, not only are we, are we content with severely um, malnutritious instruction, but we also have adopted an anything-goes kind of attitude. Any spiritual food merely labeled Christian is valid. There is absolutely no discernment when it comes to our spiritual intake, and there are those who advocate that it's not as serious as we might think. They propagate their own false doctrine or present such a lighthearted approach to doctrine that it communicates insignificance to the people. We directly contradict the clear instruction of Scripture, redefine biblical terminology to more subtly contradict the clear instruction of Scripture, so that we can continue to use those terms that we are all so familiar with, but what we are unaware of is how they have redefined those terms to accommodate worldly values. 
Uncertainty, ambiguity, disclarity, open-mindedness, and interpretive freedom are falsely held up as humility, while any form of theological certainty, steadfastness, conviction, or dogmatism is misdiagnosed as pride. That is exactly the opposite of the way biblically-driven convictions work. Truly biblical and well-nourished believers from the truth results in a spiritual life and vitality and holiness and Christ-likeness and sanctification and proper Christian living. Spiritual health comes from truth. The sound words which you have heard from the beginning, as Paul says. But conversely, Show me a man who is spiritually ill, and I will show you a man who is theologically weak. Show me a man who is theologically weak, and I will show you a man who is theologically ill, malnourished, and weak. So just as the spiritually healthy Christian is a Christian who is well-nourished in the truth and his theology. Likewise, conversely, the spiritually weak Christian, spiritually sick Christian, if you will, is a Christian who is theologically weak, faint-hearted. And doctrinal imprecision always inevitably leads to immoral living, and there is only one prescription to correct that. That is the reinforcing point that Paul drives home, that he wants to impress on Timothy as he begins to close his letter. Your doctrine will affect the way you live. Whether your doctrine is bad or whether your doctrine is good. And that's why Paul, that's what Paul shows us in 1 Timothy chapter 6. In verses 3 to 5, we could say that in a sense, he gives us the symptoms of spiritual botulism here. The first symptom is found in verse 3, and that is doctrinal perversion. If you want to discern, you want to identify those spiritual leaders who have spiritual botulism, you'll find then the first symptom is doctrinal perversion. There are three descriptions, though, of this first symptom, and so that's, that's really what we're just going to look at this morning, kind of uh, our sermon outline is coming from these three subpoints. actually, is what's happening here. And we want to look at these three descriptions of doctrinal perversion. But as we progress through these symptoms in the coming weeks, uh, though uh, we might be taking a break here as uh, Pastor Robert and uh, fills in for me in the pulpit um, during our time off while uh, Mel is uh, Lord willing, 
delivering a very healthy baby in the near future, but um, we'll come back to this, progressing through these symptoms. Now, we're going to see how Paul shows the correlation between doctrinal corruption and moral corruption, and they always go hand in hand. If we look at the first one, doctrinal perversion, we need to pay attention to our own condition. First, universally as a church of God, then perhaps we can rein in a little bit and think uh, not locally in the normal sense, but locally maybe more at a national level, the, the national church, and look at its condition. And we also want to look at our own local church here at High Point, and then individually as well. You don't need WebMD here to figure this out. Physicians love it when you look at WebMD and give yourself a self-diagnosis, right? I'm kidding. Don't do that to your physician. However, the Scriptures give us a good way of measuring our own spiritual condition, a self-diagnostic manual, if you will. You've got what you need right here. Phil Johnson, who is the executive director of Grace to You, said earlier this month, I think the evangelical church today is more in need of reformation than medieval Roman Catholicism was in Luther's time. And I do believe that the evangelical church is a worse mess both morally and doctrinally, than Roman Catholicism was then. That is quite the statement from a man who has a much firmer grasp on his theology and his historical theology than I do. But that should be a real wake-up call to us because even Rome wanted moral reformation in the 16th century because of the extent of perversion, corruption, and evil that was permeating their own ranks. What they did not want was doctrinal reformation, which is the only source of any real moral change because doctrinal reformation would bring a devastating blow to their power and money. And so it's no surprise then that Paul would link doctrinal corruption with the same issue, lust for power and money in 1 Timothy chapter 6. In verses 9 and 10 especially, Paul says that the pursuit of worldly riches results in moral compromise and heterodoxy. He says, but those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now that is set up in contrast to this subtle little window, this response to the false teacher, the one who is identified as having spiritual botulism in verses 3 to 5. Then verses 6, 7, 8, Paul tells us what it looks like to have spiritual vitality, what a godly leader looks like. He says, godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. 
For we have brought nothing into this world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. So you see, the pursuit of worldliness is is tied into the issue of lusting for the things of the world and for power. The things that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6 are fleeting, that moth and rust destroy, thieves break in and steal. And it is those who want to get rich that fall into the snare that plunges them into eternal destruction. So, even the church in Rome didn't want doctrinal reformation. They also didn't want accountability. Accountability that would be provided through Bible translation in the language of the common people. And when they couldn't stop that, it just became illegal to have Bibles in the home. Bibles were chained to the pulpits. You couldn't take it anywhere with you. Couldn't read it, study it, know it for yourself. And when they couldn't keep the Bibles out of the home, it became this issue of Gnostic interpretive authority very strategic. Uh, teach people, oh, you can, you can have that. Sure, we want to encourage everyone to take Bibles with you, but you can't understand it without a priest who's been trained in a specialized and secretive allegorical hermeneutic. So you can read it, but we all know that you won't come to the right conclusions if you just read it in its plain sense. So take our word for it. The Scriptures are anything but understandable and clear. You can't read this for yourself. You can't come to the right conclusions for yourself, which is why one of the critical issues in the Reformation was the defense of the perspicuity of the Scriptures, the clarity of them. By the nature of the word revelation, they were revelatory. They were understandable. They were to be read in their plain sense. And the, and the reason why they were at that time and still are so set against instruction in the Word of God is because the first characteristic of the false teacher that Paul gives us in verse 3 is that he teaches differently than what Scripture teaches. So, of course, if you don't know what the Scriptures teach, how in the world can you discern if he's feeding food that is laced with spiritual botulism? Or to be consistent, we would call that the first description of doctrinal perversion. That ought to be pretty obvious to us, but apparently it's not, because we fail to realize just how important sound teaching is then. The level of discernment among the people of God is nothing short of alarming. Our Bible knowledge is weak. And what is the antidote? What is the antidote for spiritual weakness, for spiritual botulism? Well, it is the knowledge of the Scriptures. The mark of the false teacher is that he advocates a different doctrine. And look at the way this is set up. Paul says, if anyone advocates, so... Categorically, unequivocally, and universally, 
universally. If anyone. It just makes the postmodernist's hair stand up on the back of his neck. It's a first-class conditional clause. And what that means is that Paul is assuming reality. Paul says if, but uh, it's in response to a reality that's already an active issue in Ephesus. This is already going on. We're saying if anyone, because we recognize that it's a reality. So whomever, or uh, the... uh, since the if is assumed and it's a first-class condition, we could appropriately translate this as since. Since there are those doing this, but if anyone, then you can conclude these things. So there's already a deadly infection, but Paul reaches beyond the immediate context of the Ephesian heresies and gives us a diagnostics manual for every false teacher If anyone advocates a different doctrine, or or all whom advocate a a different doctrine, another teaching, anyone advocating a teaching that contradicts the Scriptures. You know, when you're backpacking, the most direct route is ordinarily not the best one. Nor is it the fastest, and the same thing often applies in combat. Rarely does the most obvious direct approach work, and when it does, the element of surprise is critical. You remember that was the great blunder of General Lee's Pickett's Charge at Gettysburg in 1863. At Gettysburg, he assumed that the center of the Union line had to be weak, and it was, And so on the third day of the battle, he ordered a massive assault on a single converging point in a small grove of trees, but his men had to march over three-quarters of a mile in open terrain where they were completely open to artillery fire from all sides and uh, giving the uh, Union line plenty of time to reinforce the center as well. For the two days prior, the Confederate Army tried a series of flanking maneuvers, and while I'm no expert in tactical warfare, my understanding is that that's generally the preferred approach whenever possible to outflank an army. Deception, though, is always critical to any major assault. Catching the enemy on their heels. At the beginning of World War II, the Japanese... Uh, made the U.S. believe that we were progressing in peace negotiations. While in reality, the Japanese were only using that as a smokescreen to buy themselves time to build up their naval fleet to destroy and attack the United States at Pearl Harbor. And deception is the approach of the enemy of the truth. In the Garden of Eden... When Eve told Satan that she couldn't eat from the fruit of the garden, Satan's approach wasn't, oh, you don't need to worry about that. Let me tell you something. God doesn't exist. That wasn't his approach. You might call that the direct approach to deception, but that wasn't his approach, and it probably wouldn't have worked. He just questioned the authority of the Word of God. 
has God really said? Sown doubt, flanking the truth, lacing theology with botulism, just enough to destroy. And again, that's why it is so imperative to know the Scriptures. That's why Alistair Begg reminds us that the task of a pastor is to ensure that his congregation is anchored to the Word of God and grounded in the work of Christ. That's what any true spiritual leader is going to pour himself out in. You remember what Paul said in in 1 Timothy chapter 4. In verse 6, the good minister is constantly pointing out sanctification by means of the Word of God to his people and is himself constantly nourished on the words of the truth and sound doctrine. Verse 10, that's our labor, Paul says. And then in verse 11, we are reminded again, prescribe and teach these things. In verse 16, persevere and pay close attention to yourself and our teaching. And that is the primary function of the shepherd. Watch his life. Watch his doctrine. Teach the flock sound doctrine. Watch their lives. Because quite frankly, we said this before, but I don't think it can be said enough. Many of us have... Many of us have an appetite to consume whatever happens to have a Christian packaging label on it. This past week, I was clearing out the garage while the boys were playing out. Now, this is not why they are sick today. This has nothing to do with that. They were already sick. But I was clearing out the garage, and it dawned on me at one point that it was a little too quiet, a little too long. So I walked around the corner, and there's John and Tim sitting there, in a big pile of ferns that they had picked. And uh, I just say, hey guys, what you doing? And Timmy looks up at me with big smiling eyes and says, we're eating the ferns. That's right. And so immediately, of course, my mind starts racing as I'm trying to recall which of the species are poisonous. While at the same time hoping that they're just pretending to be eating from the ferns and not actually eating them. So I'm trying to Google on my phone this as well. And and so I ask, how much have you eaten? A lot. Well, many of us have the same kind of spiritual appetite. It's green and it's lush and it says it's Christian. It got packaged as food, and we end up eating poisonous doctrine without even realizing it. Toxic doctrine has always had a subtle and extremely effective way of infiltrating the church, corrupting the minds of the people of God, the way they think, the way they interpret their problems, the way they apply truth to life. But listen, this isn't very complicated. The the best way to avoid toxic ferns is to stay away from the species. And likewise, not only do false teachers affirm error, but what is crucial is not just what they do teach, but what they don't. 
Again, very often, false teachers are usually more subtle than to begin by advocating outright heresy. Paul says they don't agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ. They teach differently. That's a, that's a description one. And they are also characterized by what they don't teach. They teach something that's different, and they avoid certain critical subjects. They don't teach, might be obvious, what they disagree with. That would be counterintuitive. They avoid what they disagree with. So the facts... So the fact that they don't teach the whole counsel of God is the second description of this symptom of doctrinal perversion we're looking at. Paul said in Acts chapter 20, verse 27, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And that is what really defines pastoral ministry, one who is committed to to feeding sound words to his flock preparing them and equipping them to live healthy spiritual lives. And look for that first. You're not doing that, and the explanation at one level or another is that you do not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, when Paul says that, when he's talking about teaching the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ, he's not limiting the context of our ministry to the words that are red letters in our Bibles. That's not at all what he is saying here. Those of our Lord Jesus Christ. I had a person tell me some t- one time, well, uh, you know, I, I read them a, a passage from one of the epistles. I don't remember which one it was. And their response was, well, uh, Jesus never said that, though. But Jesus didn't say that. And so you see, he's setting up a false dichotomy, and that is all too common. Well, yes, Paul says this, but Jesus said that. They're pitting Jesus' words against Paul's words, denying that all of the words are the Word of God and Jesus is God. Therefore, they are all His words. They're all His words. In fact, Paul already established that point in 1 Timothy chapter 4 as well. So he doesn't need to revisit here. It's understood when he says when he says that they are teaching words that are... Uh, I'm losing the word. Errant from the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he's, he's talking about the whole counsel of God. And maybe they don't really believe in the perspicuity of Scripture, the clarity of it, so they avoid certain doctrines because of that, certain texts. Maybe they're motivated by pragmatism and they know that certain doctrines are going to separate the sheep from the goats. Maybe they don't believe that all Scripture is profitable for teaching and training in righteousness. Maybe they're just arrogant and puffed up and think certain doctrines of Scripture don't belong in the church. They're just for the higher educated, such as themselves. And uh, because all of you, after all, you simpletons can't possibly grasp them. They called you uh, simpletons, not me, just to make sure that we're clear about that. I have high expectations for you. 
But the bottom line is that false teachers, and pay attention, you can write it down if you desire to, false teachers will call themselves Christian. They may talk a lot about Jesus and certain doctrines, but the heart of their ministry will not be one that is characterized as instructing in the whole counsel of God. If you look to any ministry, and a personality is what characterizes that ministry rather than to the sound words of the Lord Jesus, then you know you have a problem. If you have a shepherd that more readily talks about his methods and the results of, rather than his theology and the implications of, you're probably barking up the wrong tree. We've got a problem. They avoid the Scriptures and like outright false doctrine and and just like those who teach a different doctrine, they are generally very subtle about their teaching that does not agree with the sound word of Scripture. Usually they have Scripture. Often they have a lot of Scripture. Sometimes they'll even have a text a passage of Scripture that they work through, such as we have this morning. Uh, But a a lot of pulpits avoid the Word of God, though they have a lot of the Word of God in them. And like I said, maybe even coming from a key passage or text like we do from Sunday to Sunday. But the problem is you can have all the verses in the world, but if you're not preaching the authorial intent, you're not preaching God's words. If you're using a passage, a text, to just springboard you off into some kind of goofy allegorical hermeneutic, because you have an agenda for that text, then ultimately you're not teaching God's words because you're not teaching His intent for them. You're preaching man's wisdom. Sometimes they do that. Sometimes they just skip texts altogether. Sometimes they proof text. Sometimes they integrate worldly systems into their own dogma, and their teaching becomes all about self-help strategies and psychological babbling that contradicts the Word of God. It's just no one knows it because they themselves don't know the Word of God. They haven't been taught it. It's not being reinforced. And at the end of the day, when you look at their ministries, they're as committed to the Scriptures as Duncan is to donuts. In case you missed the news this week, evidently Duncan Donuts is dropping the donuts from their name. But I don't know what we're Duncan anymore, so I'm disappointed. But finally, the third description of false teachers is that they reject the doctrine conforming to godliness. And that is the real irony of it all. The whole purpose of our ministry is what? What is the purpose of the ministry of the Word? 1 Peter 2, Therefore, putting putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the Word, 
so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. If they're not taking the antidote for spiritual botulism, then you know what's going to happen? It's going to become obvious that there's something wrong. Their lives aren't going to be holier. They're not going to be growing. They're not going to be exemplary and spiritually disciplined. They're not going to be models of Christian conduct. And as you look across their congregations, if their people are marked by worldliness, then you know that, and you know that uh, their lives are, are not being affected by the ministry of the Word either because there is no true ministry of the Word. There's a discontinuity. Sound doctrine always produces holiness in the lives of God's people. Why is that? I mean, why can't I just get up here and tell you what to do every Sunday? Honestly, that would be a whole lot easier for me. Now just tell me what I need to do, preacher. No need for an oral dissertation every week. So, the word of the Lord for you this week is stop arguing, love one another. Next week, no cussing. Week after that, okay, be humble, be warm, be filled, go home. Week after that, maybe rejoice, and there you have it. Can you believe it? I just preached an entire month of sermons. If you would just do those things. But we can't do that because godliness here, or the word uh, that Paul uses for godliness here, can also be translated as devoutness or piety. It actually refers to the awesome respect that is due to God. That's what godliness is. Heterodoxy can't do that. Philosophical systems, false religions, and psychology can't do that. Only the sound words of the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, the word different doctrine is heterodiscaleo. That is uh, the, the beginning of that word. It's a compound word. It means divergent, divisive instruction. It's, the, it's where we get heterodoxy from as opposed to orthodoxy. It contradicts sound doctrine. Look at this. It is not, it is not just that they're wrong in their teaching, though. And we'll see this next time we are together. This is an issue of pride. Their commitment to get this right is a matter of their own spiritual condition, their own spiritual vitality. It's a matter of pride or a matter of humility. How hard do they work to make sure that they've got the antidote to worldliness that leads to death right? That's how you get here. That's what leads you to reject the truth and avoid the truth. 
He is conceited and understands nothing. You've been listening to the expository Bible teaching of our pastor-teacher, Pastor Matt Tarr, on the High Point Baptist Church Sermon Cast, and we pray you have been blessed by what you've heard. If you have any questions about the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, or if you would like to speak with someone concerning salvation through faith, please reach out to us right away. It would be a great joy and blessing to minister to you. Contact information can be found on our website. If you have any additional questions or comments regarding this sermon, would like to know more about our church, or would like to submit a prayer request, just visit us online at highpointbaptist.church. Additional sermons can be found on the SermonCast page of our website and may be downloaded or streamed free of charge. Our website again is highpointbaptist.church. Thank you again for listening. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Copyright 2018, High Point Baptist Church, All Rights Reserved.